Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. We sing about the love of Christ, or we're singing about it. it was, I was minded, reminded that, um, by the way, I don't know, I don't usually comment. This seems kind of loud today, ringing or something. But I was reminded that He loves us enough to tell us the truth. There's a whole bunch of the world out there that doesn't love you enough to tell you the truth. To tell you what they think you want to hear or what's comfortable for them. But God always tells us the truth and he does so because he loves us. So we've come to the final uh, sermon in this sermon series entitled The Deadly Exchange. Uh, It's based on the idea in Jeremiah where God talks about his people when they sin. That when we sin... We really commit two evils, he says, and one is that we turn away from him. And uh, if, if his, his greatness, his perfect gift to us, uh, his love for us, his ways, which are always best, and we turn away from that and we turn to something else of our own making as human beings, something that will damage us, will cause problems in our lives, and will not, not only will not honor God, will not bless us. So really, when we think about sin, is it logical at all? Is sin logical at all? I'm really asking you a question. It's not. But we do it, and that's because when we were uh, conceived in our mother's womb and born in this world, we we came with a selfish, sinful nature, uh, which God can save us from, but it does a lot of damage. And we spend a lifetime working our way out of it learning, growing after we become believers in Jesus Christ. The Bible calls that the sanctification process. Well, today we want to focus in on one particular place where we have made this exchange, a bad exchange, and entitling the sermon, The Gift Exchange. Now, let me just share a little bit of background for for myself, and, and many of you have experienced this, and all of you are experiencing some of the results of it. Uh, I was... Um, Born in 1955. By the way, you know what I noticed now? You know, if you go online, you have to, you know, you're filling out your information, you have to put your age in. And then they had the long, they had the list of years to scroll through. Man, I got to scroll so far now, it's ridiculous. Just let me write it down, you know, don't make me feel bad. Born in 1955, so I'm a, you know, 10 years old by about the mid-60s. And in the mid-60s, in the 60s, we had... uh, and I don't want to blame it on these guys, but we had the hippie movement and became very popular. I mean, this whole idea of free love. Free love. And really, they weren't talking about love in any sense that the Bible would talk about love. or It was talking about free sex. That's what they meant. Throwing off restraint. And that sex became acquainted with, uh, uh, equated with love. And that's, that's what love was. And... and you know, that mentality and growing up with, I did not know the Lord. I was not having the word of God taught to me regularly. And so I'm listening to that. And, and you have certain natural things built in that maybe hold you back and, and different issues. But I was damaged by that view. It, it affected me. It affected me negatively in how I looked at life. It affected my father negatively and certain decisions he made would expose me to things that were not good things for me. 
And I suffered damage because of these things. Now, when I was 19 years old, I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, trusted Christ as my Savior. And he, He's done a tremendous work in my life of changing me. But you know, I still have scars. I still have things in my life that from time to time jump up and, and haunt me and I have to figure out how do I deal with this? That you can, I can trace back to that. Now you don't have to raise your hand today, but there's a bunch of you out there today like me, aren't you? You've been hurt by this. And if you haven't been hurt directly in your life, you've been hurt indirectly by it. People around you, people that you care about, what's happened in their lives. Our children are the recipients of an ungodly heritage in this area of life. They are bombarded by it in ways that we could only have imagined when we were growing up. I, I, I mean, the root problems of life are always the same, but I, but I do believe that um, our kids today are growing up in a harder world than you and I did when it comes to these kinds of issues. I mean, back in my day, it's still my day, isn't it? Back in those days, you had to kind of work at it to expose yourself to things that you ought not be exposed to. Now you don't even have to try. And so they are in a difficult place. But God tells, uh, loves us enough that he's told us the truth about these issues. And, and there is hope. We are not Stuck. We don't have to be damaged. We don't have to be permanently damaged. If damage has occurred in your life, God can bring healing. But we have to know what God says about it, and we have to yield ourselves to it. So, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 13. And by the way, the longer I worked on this message, the harder it got. Because there's so much. And so I really made a decision here to really try to boil it down. And, and get to the, the main ideas here. And uh, there's lots of things that we can talk about. And if, if you want to do that at another point in time, or one-on-one, whatever, we can certainly do those things. Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you there, we encourage you to take the one in the pew and follow along with us. We're, we're going to start on page 1384, 1384. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews covers so many things, so many theological truths, so many practical things, but here we get down to the end and, and the author starts dealing with just some really practical truths. And in verse number four, he says this, Hebrews 13, verse number four. He says, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. Now, we're gonna stop there for the moment. We'll come back to this. In fact, if you wanna mark this place, we will be back to this place. Marriage, this is what God says, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. And so God is telling us here that sex within the marriage relationship is pure and holy and positive and good. And it should be kept that way. And that's what he tells us here. But so what we want to do is let's go back and, and take a look at uh, where this all comes from. Turn in your Bibles to the first book, Genesis chapter 1. 
And as you turn there, let me say this to you. Based on what it says there in Hebrews and the rest of Scripture, that sex is an amazing wedding gift from God. Sex is an amazing wedding gift. That's what it's intended to be from God. I think it would surprise some of our, our fellow uh, Americans that God knows about sex. He invented it. It was his idea. Genesis chapter 1, that's page number 2 in the Pew Bible. Let's, let's start in verse number 26. It says, Then God said, let us make man, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, him, man, mankind, male and female. He created them. And so God is the one who thought up male and female. We could be like those amoeba. That's a scary thought if I were looking at you and all of a sudden you began to go through the process of osmosis. You know, asexual reproduction. But he didn't. It's got male and female. God's idea. And, and, and these two are complementary to one another. We are complementary in the sense that the parts fit we are also complementary in the sense that the souls fit. We're not the same by God's design. And it takes male and female together to try to capture this image of God that he wants to express in our world. Then verse 28, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. So right here in chapter one, the overview of all creation, God has included sex and the reproductive results of that as part of what he's given mankind to do. Sex is God's idea, and it is a good thing. Go to chapter two. Chapter two, and let's start in verse number 21. This is... Uh, goes, this is a, a flashback to how God created Adam and then Eve. And at this point, we're talking about Eve, the first woman. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And, and just so you know, uh, the Hebrew words, I'm, and I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I, I know this, that uh, the Hebrew word for man here is ish. And the Hebrew word for woman is isha. And I think it went like this. You know, God put Adam to sleep and he creates the woman wakes him up and brings the woman to him, and he sees her and he recognizes her, because he's been looking for this as, as his kind, right? And he looks at her and says, Isha. <laughs> God built that in. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, 
and were not ashamed. This is by God's design. This is the intention in the marriage relationship. Because sex is an amazing wedding gift from God. So let's talk about it here a little bit. In biblical marriage, and by biblical marriage we mean one man and one woman who have made a commitment for life. That's, that's what biblical marriage is. Uh, they are free to choose to pursue or to respond to sexual stimulation with their spouses, either, either in mind or in body. It's free. It's open. It's good. And a powerful soul bonding occurs in sexual intimacy. A powerful soul bonding. Because hormones are released in sexual uh, intimacy. And there's several, but they produce these roles. One of them produces an immediate, strong, emotional attachment to the other person. Okay? And by the way, uh, this hormone is also uh, shows up in childbirth. And it's producing an immediate, strong, emotional attachment for a mother to her child. And so that's what it does. There's another hormone that's released in sexual intimacy that produces, it's it's been linked up to a a growing attachment, a long-term, faithful kind of attachment. And and then there's another hormone that's released that produces a a feeling of well-being that actually lessens physical pain and lessens psychological pain. Feeling of well-being, all of this in this relationship that God designed between a man and wife. And then there's the potential during childbearing years uh, that this can actually bring a new life into existence. And the blessing of children comes by God's design through the sexual relationship in marriage. That's his intent. All of this designed by God is a gift for us. It enables us and, and, and makes it easier for us to carry out God's instructions for us as human beings to, to multiply, be fruitful and multiply. And it's one of the most powerful ways of expressing who we are in relationship with someone we love. And, and I, I'm going to say this part once, and I, you know, I don't know if I'll get to it again or not, but just let this one go in and bang around for a while. God's design of sex for us in the marriage is intended to provide a picture to us of the intimacy and passion available to us in our relationship with God. Sex is an amazing wedding gift from God. But what if I'm not married? (laughs) Right? Well, let me say this to you. It's still an amazing gift from God. Because even if you don't get to participate in sexual activity because you are not married, you will experience all the blessings of being obedient to God in this area of life. As you keep sex in the right place in your life and you obey that, you will experience a freedom that most of the people around you don't have. And you will experience the power of God working and moving freely through you. But you have to surrender to this. I mean, so you're saying to me, okay, yeah, okay, so God made sex and it's an awesome thing and he put it in marriage and I'm not married. And you're saying it's a blessing for me? Well, if you will obey, if you will submit yourself to what God teaches on this subject, it will be a blessing to you. And you might say, well, I need to see that to believe it. Well, as Christians, it's backwards. What we need to do is believe it and act upon it, and you'll see it. You will experience 
that blessing. Sex is an amazing wedding gift from God. Now look in Genesis chapter 3. We see, we know the story. Sin enters into the world. Man, Adam chooses to disobey God. Eve along with him. And start in verse number 7. Here's what happened. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So because all of a sudden they realized they're naked, they hide from each other, they hide from God. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. And so the blame game starts there immediately as well. I want you to see this. When sin, when sin entered the world, it brought with it a corrupted version of sex. Actually brought many corrupted versions of sex. Now, the sin was not about sex. Okay? Get that out of your mind. I don't, you know, sometimes people have taught that over the years, different religions have taught that. Sin was not about sex. We've already seen God said sex was good, didn't he? In fact, at the end of that day when he created man and they were naked and not ashamed, it says God said everything that he had made and he said it was very good. So this sin is not sex, but this sin brought all sorts of evil into the world and some of that was about corrupted version of sex. And so what we have is what was naked and unashamed now becomes naked and ashamed. We have a huge twist immediately, don't we? on our sexuality. Self has now taken priority in life. All of a sudden there's this self-consciousness, self-awareness, and self begins to rule in life, including in sex. You see, the corrupted version makes sex about me, not about us. You know, often one person is selfishly taking sexual pleasure from another person in an attempt to meet his or her own needs, and not just physical, but emotional. And often the other person is giving away sexual pleasure in an attempt to meet his or her emotional needs from this other person. Sex has become a commodity that gets bought and sold. And the corrupted version has ripped sex from the marriage relationship. I mean, it might be occurring in marriage or it might not, but it's no longer inseparably inter intertwined with marriage. It doesn't, it's not the way it has to be anymore, see? It's about what I want. It's about meeting my needs. And the focus has now changed from what God has intended. But it doesn't work. It does not work. Just to give you an example, of that, let, let's revisit uh, part of God's great blessings in his design for sex. Remember we talked about the emotional bonding that occurs in sex because of the hormones that are released, that emotional bonding, which you say, why are we talking about, well, God made us that way. God designed it that way. And so those blessings of emotional bonding uh, in the corrupted version of sex, instead of an immediate strong emotional attachment to the other person, there is an emptiness. Yeah, the emotions are there, but they can't, really take you anywhere. And the growing attachment that leads to a long-term faithful relationship, there's a tearing apart instead. Rather than experiencing the growing attachments ripped from your life again and again and again because 
there is no marriage commitment. And that feeling of well-being that lessens both the physical and psychological pain, it is short-lived because you're involved in an approach to life that's guaranteed to cause you more pain. So any version of sex that does not line up with God's intention is only humanity's, you know, the rejecting of this awesome good thing from God and choosing something that is so much less and does damage in the process. Now, understand this. Corrupted versions of sex, in other words, any version that's not God's way, corrupted versions of sex are affecting all of us one way or another either directly or indirectly, and probably both. I mean, I know you might be here today saying, well, I, I don't struggle with that stuff, I don't, and I don't believe those selfish things about sex. It hasn't affected me, but it has. It's, again, either directly or indirectly, because have you noticed, anybody notice that we are bombarded by sexuality in our culture? We're bombarded. It's all over the place. The adage in advertising is sex sells, and it gets used a lot. You know, you don't have to drive very far from here to see billboards that are using sex to sell. Uh, in magazines, television, even radio uses sexual images and innuendo to sell products. It's everywhere. And by the way, we're not talking about being prudish here. Sex is everywhere, but it ought to be where it's supposed to be. Let me just, before I forget, to share it. Anybody here have a nice fireplace in your house? And it's nice when you can, you know, cold winter day or night, uh, may it snow outside, and you can put the fire in there and light it, and a nice roaring fire gives warmth, and it, something about listening to it and watching, it's very soothing, isn't it? Right? It's a great thing until it gets out of the fireplace. And once it gets out of the fireplace, it does damage. That's the way sex is, see? So yeah, sex is everywhere. But if it's where it's supposed to be, it's not a problem. But anyway, so we are bombarded by it. And it's not just advertising. The Teen Health and Media website reports these things. Listen, two out of three shows on TV include sexual content. The most widely viewed show on prime, in primetime on major networks are even more likely to include sexual content. Sexual intercourse is depicted or strongly implied in one out of every ten shows, usually between people who are only casually related and not married. According to a study prepared for the Kaiser Family Foundation, 50 hours of selected primetime programming included 156 sexual acts or references to them. Same study report that 76% of teens believe that TV shows and movies make sex seem normal for teens and encourages them to be sexually active. And if you think that because we're Christians, our children escape all this, and hopefully we do better, but this study showed that most children ages 11 to 13 and some children ages 8 to 10, understood the sexual content that they were seeing and hearing, including the jokes and the innuendos. They have been exposed. Our children are being exposed. 
and college students exposed to large amounts of sexual behavior on TV were more likely to believe that their peers engaged in those same activities and it made it seem normal to them. According to Covenant Eyes, which is a Christian internet accountability and filtering ministry, in 2010, over one-fourth of 16 to 17-year-olds said they were exposed to nudity online when they did not want to. They weren't looking for it, but it showed up. In addition, 20% of 16-year-olds and 30% of 17-year-olds have been on the receiving end of sexting. Listen, 35% of boys say they have viewed pornographic videos too many times to count. More than half of boys and nearly a third of girls see their first pornographic images before they turn 13. In a survey of hundreds of college students, 93% of young men, 62% of young women said they were exposed to pornography before they turned 18, and the vast majority of them said they had seen images of what they considered to be perverted sex online. About 68% of young adult men and about 18% of women use pornography at least once every week. And another 17% of men and another 30% of women use porn one to two times per month. Two-thirds of college-age men, half of college-age women say viewing pornography is an acceptable way to express one's sexuality. The American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, I didn't even know such a thing exists. But the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers reports that 56% of divorce cases involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites, more than half. And then according to numerous studies, prolonged exposure to pornography leads to these things. It leads to a diminished trust between intimate couples, the belief that promiscuity is the natural state of our being, Cynicism about love or the need for affection between sexual partners. The belief that marriage is sexually confining and a lack of attraction to family and child raising. We are affected, folks, one way or another. Either because you're surrounded by it and having to deal with it or because it has infected your life in some way. We are not immune. We are not immune to it. We aren't even beginning to address the magnitude of the problem of sexual morality in our, own in our own nation, sadly, probably not even in our own lives. So let's go back to Hebrews chapter 13. I hope you marked that. Page 1384, if you didn't. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 4. It says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. Okay, we have looked at that, but now we've seen the corruption comes in, the defilement has come in. And then it's, God says this, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Now, the word fornicators has, you know, some weird kind of feel to it, I know. Um, but it comes from a, the Greek word, the Greek word, word pornea, which is where we get our word pornography, the graphics of pornea. Pornea is sexual immorality. So when the Bible mentions fornication, it's talking about sexual immorality. It could be in marriage, it could be out of marriage. It, it doesn't matter. Sexual immorality. And so God says here that those who are involved in sexual immorality and adultery, that God will judge. And so notice, when we exchange God's amazing gift of sex in marriage for a corrupted version, we bring God's judgment into our lives. 
Well, let's dig down into this a little bit more by defining what we're talking about when we talk about sex in general and then whether it's God's way or man's way. So let's, let's define sex like this. Sex is choosing to pursue. Sex is choosing to pursue or respond to sexual stimulation in either mind or body. Includes the initial thoughts all the way to the fullest and most intimate physical sexual activity includes everything in between. It's that choice to pursue sexual stimulation. It's that choice to respond positively towards sexual stimulation. Good thing or bad thing? Depends, doesn't it? We've already said, the way God set up, it's a good thing. Any other way, it's a bad thing. Now, just to make sure we understand, we're not talking about the fact that we have sexual thoughts that arise or that we notice something sexual. We aren't talking about that. That's going to happen to you. You live in this world, it's going to happen to you. You go live by yourself, it's going to happen to you. So that's going to come. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about then there's a choice of how do I respond to it. Do I yield myself to God's ways or do I do something else? Anything else. And so this, when we're talking about sex, this could be visual only, just looking at something. It, it, it might be physical contact, whether a little physical contact or, or a lot. The idea is you're choosing to pursue or respond to sexual stimulation in it. Might be only by ourselves or could be with somebody else. Could be any combination of these things. In reality or only in our minds. This is what we're talking about. And we're either going to have this be in God's way or some corrupted way. Now, in marriage, in marriage, all of these things are good and healthy. They are a blessing from God that strengthens. This is God's intent. Now listen, outside of marriage, they are sinful. All of these things are sinful outside of marriage. And sex outside of marriage is sin and always brings judgment for everyone. You know, there's a built-in judgment of sowing and reaping, okay? Uh, how many of us have been damaged at some point in life because of choices we made about sex, right? I have. Many of you, probably most, maybe all of you have at some point been damaged by this. This damage is built in. It isn't like God had to do anything, it's built in because, you see, God's ways work, sinful ways do not. God's ways bring lasting uh, blessing. Sinful ways bring temporary pleasure followed by greater pain. Eventually, sinful ways always bring troubles. It's always a trap that can be difficult to get out of. And when you go against God's ways, you always end up with ugly problems. You see, God builds this judgment into the system. He built it in so that we could see how wise it is to do things his way, which is, as we learn, Jesus' way is the only way to live God's way, which is the best way. He built this in so we could see that and so we could all see how foolish it is to go our own way. So it brings judgment for everyone. It brings judgment for Christians 
Now, thankfully, by God's grace, Jesus already took our eternal judgment on the cross when he died for our sins. However, Christ will judge all the things we've done in our lives when we stand before him, and he will reveal what they were really were and what they were really all about. And then for the unsaved, they will be judged for all of their sins, including these. Sex, any other way than God's way, always brings God's judgment. Sex, God's way, is an awesomely good thing. Sex, any other way, is a terrible thing. God's way honors him and blesses you and strengthens your soul. The corrupted version of sex dishonors the Lord and robs you of God's blessing and damages your soul. All right, so I've been going long, 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 and I know how that can feel when you're sitting where you're sitting. Let me say this to you. Nobody here today is too far gone. We can turn to the Lord. Be honest with him about where we're at and seek his work and his help and he'll forgive and clean us up and, and he can work in our lives to bring healing. And obviously the farther we've gone, the bigger the problem is and the, maybe the longer it's going to take and maybe the more difficult it is, but you're not stuck. You don't have to be stuck where you are. But there is something that you need to settle in your heart, your, your, your mind today. Um, and obviously your relationship with God, but I'm talking about in this specific area. You need to, to do what the Apostle Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 6, in verse 18. He said, flee immorality. Flee it. Get away from it. Get it out of your life. Don't have anything to do with it. That's a, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Flee. Run away. Get away from it. Well, high, how high is the standard that we need to set? Well, the Holy Spirit led Paul to write these words in Ephesians 5. He said this, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. He says a lot more, but did he make it clear? How much sexual immorality is appropriate to allow in our lives? Zero. We need to have zero tolerance for it in our own lives. And yeah, we're going to have to fight a battle with that. Because please know, the expectation is not that we're going to say, oh yeah, I've been involved in sexual immorality. All right, all done. Here we go. Not going to go that way. There will, because we live in a sin-cursed world, because we have been corrupted by sin in our own lives, we're working out, if we will deal with it. It will be an ongoing issue in our lives. But so, how do we apply this high standard and flee sexual immorality? Here are some ways. Okay, just listen. All pornography has to go. I don't care if it's softcore, you want to call it, or whatever. It has to go. Images of people involved in sexual acts uh, you do not need. And this is on your own or in your marriage as a couple. They need to go. And pornography has such an impact on us that you may find yourself in a place where you really have to get help. 
to work through getting free from that. We can, we can help you with that. If you are single and you're involved sexually at any level, remember we talked about what this is? It's a choosing to pursue sexual stimulation or to respond to sexual stimulation. If you're single and involved sexually at any level with someone, you need to stop. It's only going to hurt you and it dishonors God, the one who died for you. You need to stop and you need to take whatever steps are necessary to stop, including breaking up if necessary. Better to honor God alone than to dishonor him with somebody else. If you're married and involved sexually with someone who isn't your wife, you need to stop immediately. And you need to confess it so that you can begin working through all the damage that is inevitably coming. And you will need help with this. Seek counsel. And then, for all of us, we need to become aware of the way sexual immorality has worked its way into our lives. And for a lot of us, you know what it is? It's not that we're actively involved, but we have gotten used to it. We've gotten used to being exposed to immorality that we didn't need to be exposed to. And when we get used to it, we get desensitized to it, and that makes us vulnerable. Okay, we've talked about, uh, you know, fighting these battles on the front end, right? If this is God's way, God's best, trying to live the way he says, and over on the other side is, is the worst sexual immorality you can imagine yourself finding yourself in, where do we want to fight this battle? We want to fight it over here, don't we? Because we don't want to end up over there. And so we fight the battle here. We, we head the wrong direction. We, what? What's going on? What am I doing? I get to turn around. And, and we will fight this battle. It's going to be there, Right? But what's going to happen is if you just let this stuff come into your life, you let it bombard you through your eyes, through your ears, your mind, through the media, uh, through maybe people you're hanging around or whatever. If you just let it, I'm talking about the things that are in your control. You let it, what's going to happen is it's going to desensitize you to the next thing you know, you're standing down here and thinking you're over there. You see the risk? It puts you closer than you ever thought you'd be. So we gotta fight the battle back here. And so you need to become aware of how sexual immorality has worked its way into your life through television, through movies, through the internet, through music, through your friends, through activities, whatever. And as you become aware that something is pressing this ungodly view of sex into your life, remove it. Remove it from your life. Stop watching that television show. I had to do that. There were shows that I thought, well, this is a really cool show, interesting things in it. But you know, I'm putting up with a lot of stuff that's really ungodly. I like the show. But you know what? I have to choose I can't do it. And I've struggled with that just like you would. So stop watching the television show. Stop reading that book. I've had, uh, years ago, I read a lot more novels than I do now, and I would pick up a novel and reading and maybe get 100 pages and really grip, and all of a sudden I start reading something. I say, you know what, this, I can't. Just, I gotta be done with this. And I wish I could say I'd always done that. But I haven't always done that. Stop looking at that website, whatever. And here's a thought. Read the movie reviews before you go see them or rent them. Before you buy the book or magazine, find out something about it and say no to the ones that are either sexual in nature or present an ungodly view of sex. 
Don't sit and go to the theater and sit there and then all of a sudden something's coming on and, and you're watching this and you're saying, whoa, you know, but I paid 14 bucks. And you stay there. Just find out ahead of time. There are so many tools available online. You can find out what the sexual content is before you, before you go. So, it, okay, so how in the world? Are we going to remove all sexual stuff from our lives? Uh, only if you're dead. It's going to come. Jesus talked about that, you know, hey, we're going to be in this world, all right? But we don't want to let it corrupt us. So you're going to see it. And, and there's, we already established, is anything wrong with sex in and of itself? No? All right, so quickly here, some guidelines to help you with what you watch, read, or listen to. First thing is, is virtually never do you need to be looking at naked people you're not married to. So if there's nudity, don't watch it. Just don't. If there's no nudity, but people are scantily dressed, the movie is filled with sensual and sexual appeals, just don't watch it. It's not worth watching. Now, if there is no nudity or overtly sexual appeals, but characters in the story are sexually active with people they're not married to, okay, that's not necessarily a deal breaker. I'm not talking, you aren't watching them have sex, but it's obvious that they are sexually active and they're not married. If that sexual sin is presented positively instead of negatively, you don't need that coming into your life. If, that, if there are no negative consequences for disobeying what God says about sex, don't watch it. Because it's a lie to you, isn't it? It's a lie that keeps coming. You say, not a big deal. This is normal. This is okay. Just remove that from your life. Now, if it's obvious that people are having sex, but they're married to each other, no big deal. Or they aren't married, and there are negative consequences because of their sin. See, that's presenting biblical view. Watch it, as long as there are other good reasons to watch it. Now, if you are struggling with your thought life and can't seem to overcome it through prayer, reading and meditating on the word, then get help. Get help from a spouse, a parent, a godly friend, a pastor. And then keep working on these things. And I, you know, just try to give you an overview here. Keep working on these things. Seek God continually about it. Become morally pure and then work to stay morally pure. Learn to fight the battles on the front end. All right, listen, I have some good news and some bad news for you. Bad news. If you've never received Christ as Savior, sexual immorality is just one sin of many that will land you in hell. Your only hope is to honestly acknowledge that you've sinned many times in, in many ways and admit that, that you need a Savior. And that's the good news. Jesus will save you. He will forgive every sin and come into your life and begin helping you to grow and change. Some more bad news. If you say you are a Christian and you're allowing sexual immorality to remain in your life, you're not fighting the battle, and you really don't care about much about what we've been talking about here today, you're saying, yeah, whatever. A few things you need to consider. If you are really saved and your heart is hard about this issue, you will experience God's judgment, and it won't be pleasant. 
will be chastised in this life, and then you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ with regrets that you can't even imagine now. But you know, another possibility here. If you can have that attitude, you may not really even be saved. Because saved people care about these things. And if you're not really saved, you're on your way to hell, and you better get serious about this and receive Christ as Savior today. Now, good news, hope. If you are a Christian or you're just becoming one by receiving Christ as Savior and you really want to be morally pure and, and you want to line your life up with God's ways when it comes to sex, you are in a really good place. Confess it to God. He died for it. Forgiveness is yours. He's, he's not holding it against you in eternity. Or now if you're turning to him. And, and then forsake it. Turn away from the sin. Settle with God. Here you go. Settle it with God that one way or another you're going forward with him in this. Ask God to do whatever it takes in your life to get you free and then start cooperating with him. He will take you seriously. And then come alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ and let them come alongside you. Get serious about pursuing your relationship with Christ and with his people in his church. Get connected to what's going on. The people, so in other words, I'm going forward with Christ and his people. And then, as I said, get help if you need help, if you find yourself continually falling back into sin. In other words, you're over here and, and, and you're fighting this, okay? And you fight, but sometimes you find yourself over here and, oh, how do I keep finding myself over here? I don't. Get help, okay? We can help you. I can help you. Dave can help you. Matt can help you. Jeff can help you. There are other godly people here who have uh, had personal experience in this life of these things who can help you. Sex is an amazing wedding gift from God. Sex God's way is awesomely good. Sex any other way is terribly bad. Choose God's way. Right now, today, let's pray. Father, thank you that you tell us the truth. You love us enough to tell us the truth. And I pray, Father, with all the information that we've looked at today, that you would uh, help each of us, Lord, to have stick to us what needs to stick. All of us who truly know you today, Lord, we desire to have our lives line up with what you say in this area. We want to be morally pure, and we want to fight the battle on the front end. But God, I just know, I know from experience that there are, and the culture we live in, that there are plenty of people here today who are struggling to fight the battle there, and they're well down the road, and they don't know how to get out. I pray that they would just cry out to you, and then they would get help as needed. Lord, when we come before you and deal with the truth, we have no reason to be ashamed. Remind us of that, Father. We only have reason to be ashamed when we're in hiding. So I pray, Father, that you will do a great work in us as a result of this, and we will become more and more a people who are morally pure and experience the freedom and the power and the blessing of it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.